Killer Conspiracies, a Utah true crime podcast with Kobe and Brian. My name is Ted Bundy. I killed her. Now that time I tied him up. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. I was saving body parts such as uh, skulls. As well as cannibalizing and raping their headless bodies. Hey, where are live now that Kobe is undeafened now you can hear him and we're back in this how much did you record today uh, I was in like 40 minutes almost holy crap did you post that no you called me halfway between us while I was recording so did you just bypass it or what I just deleted it no, you don't have to do that. I did. I kept messing up anyway, so. Okay. Well, let's just get straight to it. Into it. We're gonna. I'm gonna go first this time. So mine's based off the Ant Hill Kids cult, and I got it from um, Wendigo off YouTube. So pretty dope. So today we are talking about the Ant Hill Kids Cole. Now I want to get the disc this disclaimer. I'm going to say exactly what happened to these people and I'm not going to pull any punches. I want to bring light to this not only to emphasize the horrors that these people went through. Without further ado, we'll go ahead and get into it. To understand the Ant Hill Kids, you have to understand their root problem and their leader, Rock Theor, Theorio, Rock. I don't, I've never, I didn't hear. That's his last name, right? Yeah, it's Terio. It's Terio. French. Rock was born on May 16th in 1947 to a family in Quebec, Canada. Everyone around him said that he was incredibly smart from a young age, but from some reason dropped out in the seventh grade. In the hindsight, a lot of people tend to believe it may simply be because either a lack of home care or a pro- problem with authority or a combination of the two regardless of the reason. As Roe grew up, he became very obsessed with the Old Testament and specifically pro- um, prophecies of doomsday. What are you doing? <laughs> I have a really lazy eye and I was pointing at it. <laughs> Freaking hilarious, dude. Hold on, let me double check. My microphone's good. Okay, now we're good. Dang, this thing is loud. Either way, so shortly um, thereafter, he became a devout. Is that how you say it? Devout? Seventh-day Adventist. Adventist. And I want to make this note, as I mentioned in the iceberg, just because this crazy wacko cult person identify as part of the religion that is not indicative of the religion itself. As a matter of fact, there are several values of the Seventh-day Adventist, such as no drinking that he turned on its its head when he decided that social drinking would 
was acceptable. Also, he was kicked out of the church he attended for trying to assume too much power, which is very... And he had a fat cock. Thanks for bringing that out, Kobe. <laughs> Big old dick. Big old thigh slapper. <laughs> well, you want, you want me to pull the pictures of it or something? No, I can just look at yours. <laughs> He's pointing at the fans. He's pointing at the fans. <laughs> Treacherous foreshadowing of what was to come later around the 1970s. He started doing this thing which he would have been in his mid-twenties around the time he would, would approach common people at bars or restaurants or even at a church and begin to talk to them about his faith and his belief. Everyone around Rogue said he was incredibly char charismatic man. Not only that, but he was known to tell little subtle lies, such as about his past to give himself a sadder backstory or miraculous things God has done for him in his life in order to seem more approachable and interesting to, to an average people. And this is something else I kind of want to point out throughout this story is the way that cult leaders operate. See a lot of people have this sort of idea in their heads and I think a lot of it is due to Hollywood that whenever a cult starts, it's automatically lesser-minded people taken to someone who really is a good speaker or a public speaker. But um, but in like 90% of cases, that is that's not what happens normally. Manipulation takes a really long time. Or at no, least, they're usually fucking idiots. No, it's not. No, it's not, dude. And we'll get to that here. There's a good example that he brought up. Um, or I, I mean, I guess it, it was the 18, what was it, 1840 or 1940? He was born in 1940. So it was around that time and I feel like they had, they had, what was it called? They didn't have that much information most of the time. Good old days. Back in that day, it was really cru crucial. You know, so talking and getting to know that the person they began to want to help you to understand why they have it so great on its own thing. This is nothing wrong. It could be God. It can be a relationship or something similar. But the difference with cult leaders is that one way or the other, it usually comes back on themselves. So if you're about to lose your job or unhappy with your situation in life, then one of your year-long friends tells you that he's starting a, uh, a commune in the, on the mountains where you don't have to worry about any of it may sound like a good idea. That's exactly what he did. Did Rock and... Hey, Brian. I was going to start a little camp trip in the mountains if you want to come with me. You That's see? Few people. You see, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I would go too, you know. I would go too, even if we were talking about this subject or not. I would still go to that camp chick, you know, because it gives me a chance to share a tent with my buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
<laughs> what he did Iraq invited people into his commute and region um, known as Saint Marie Quebec in which he told people they could live life free of sin and worry however the first sign of something being amiss would come whenever Rogue said that in February of 1979 God would return not only that but that he would destroy the earth and they had to find a place to hold up. So in 1978, the entire commune took a hike through the mountains to a region. Can you believe that, dude? Yes. Yeah, because it fucking happened. Known mm-hmm. as St. Hugo's, or Hughes, of that I, I'm sorry, I'm not French. Oh, sorry. I guess it is French. Which the group at the time consisted of himself, four men, nine. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? I'm just laughing at you. (laughs) Why don't you laugh with me? I'm I'm laughing at you. And with you. group at the time consisted of himself four men, nine women, and four kids. Once they got to the mountain top, Rock laid back and made everyone else to get to work building a commune consisting of cabins, common housings, and things similar. And from watching all of them work and him doing nothing, Rogue decided to call the group the Ant Hill Kids. As he attributed them all to little children working in an ant hill for himself. The queen, this is also the first step to his real um, in-game manipulation. As what he was doing was getting all the members consist- uh, consistently tired and at his beck and call. So in other words, people got the, to the point where it was a daily occurrence to just do whatever Rogue says. And don't really question it. Because you don't have the energy to. But then eventually February of 1979 came and God didn't. When members of the cold asked why he hasn't. Why hasn't God come? If you said he is rogue said that God's time is not our time. And even got into an argument over the differences between the Israel and the Roman um, calendar, saying that did it, that it was a miscalculation on his part for not understanding God. But the God was still coming soon. He used this as an excuse to say that he just needed more prep time, and not only that, but that he needed more followers for whenever God does arrive. Using this as an excuse he then married or married the nine women in the cult to which he fathered 20 children with however an event quickly came that ruined that their little mountaintop love shack god damn dude they call it a love shack bro that's bad a lot of freaking making love there I guess Utopia Roke also proclaimed time and time again that he was a healer 
or that God spoke through him as a means of taking elements I hope I said that right away from people this mostly just resulted in him doing some like weird surgeries such as bloodletting or random explore, exploratory surgeries and things of the like however we're starting on an intense stuff now so bear with me okay so one day when two-year-old Samuel Gilger had trouble going to the bathroom or more specifically urinating Roke proclaiming that he knew exactly what he was doing proceeded to take a scalpel and cut open Samuel's you know what I mean Jesus. to which Samuel as you can imagine two-year-old would would not stop and crying as a punishment you? for this rope then ordered a man by the name of Guy Beard to punish Samuel now all of this information I'm I'm talking about has been described by members of the cult who have survived and what their tellings of it have been in recent years what are you dying your head for your lady just got up and it's all this noise Dude, I know, bro. I freaking know, bro. It's all good. It happens. I know. Well, at least it wasn't like last time where I actually had to edit it out, but... Yeah. That's what it is living here, but... Anyways, then ordered a man by the name of the guy Veer to punish... Samuel, now all of this information I'm talking about has been described by members of the cult who have survived and what they're telling of it have been in recent years, so there isn't exactly a single diagnosis we can pinpoint. However, it was a general concession or consensus that this man, Guy Veer, was very mentally handicapped. Furthermore, family members of God before he left for the cult have added on saying that yes, he was mentally deficient and while we may not know specifically, given the time that all of this occurred, it was generally understood that Guy had trouble understanding things and was not the person who one would ask to discipline a child. And during his punishment of the child for crying guy, Veer killed the two-year-old Samuel in an attempt to hide the body rock. Um, the body rock ordered that they burn the body of the two-year-old Samuel, which didn't really work. So they then buried it near the commune as punishments for this rope. Then castrated guy Veer guy. Veer then died of his injuries to which he told the entire cult to tell the police that he was killed by a horse and see at the time these people are still interacting with the town around them so whenever a guy goes missing um, that would be suspicious so the cult then goes to local to the local police department says the guy was killed with being trampled by horses which did make sense to the police at least 
because there were horses on the property and Samuel was killed to which they tried to cremate the body obviously the police were hesitant of this especially since um, everyone else in the cult seemed very quiet except for the their leader rogue however the psychi as psychiatrist would go onto the state later rope was able to charm um, the pants off of everyone he talked to so much so that one psychiatrist who interviewed him at this time said that rocket is a completely safe man and in a later case said that Rook was capable of housing the children that were under his care furthermore after all this came out dude that's kind of fucked up bro yeah so I think my my notes are kind of choppy but what happened was he ended up killing you know the, the kid and ended up cremating him and trying to cremate him which didn't work they buried him next to the the, the place that they built and then what they did to the other guy was they killed him just because the moral of the reason why they killed him was because he was um, special, you know, he was not, he had mental well, they, illness. They, they castrated him and he died because of an yeah, infection. Injuries, yeah, but the reason why they did that is because they, they believed that since he was ill, and him trying to teach the kid, um, trying to teach the kid some things, which kind of made, was kind of the reason why Samuel got taken away too, was because he was taken, he was learning from this guy with mental illness, and they just believed, they, well, he basically made the people in the cult believe that they killed him because um, they were both in the wrong in the name of God basically just because he had mental illness so there's no reason for him to basically talk is what they're saying for sure and the kid was taking information from the mental illness guy so that's why they also killed Samuel is what he said so the people from the cult can be like, oh yeah, that makes sense, you know. So after all the, of what I'm about to talk about was said and done, Sky the the psychiatrist believed Rogue so much that they still professed that he was um, a good person, was and was not responsible for his actions. It really goes to show what attributes a master manipulator can have. So. While the police wanted to charge him with something, Rook was able to talk them out of of a real investigation. Um, and the charges were dropped, however, during this time in which they were awaiting trial or awaiting to see what charges they could press on Rogue. I think that's supposed to say Rogue. As well several of his followers were in a jail during this time which was just shy of a year the followers that were not in jail set up a house just outside of the jail so they that they could come and speak to rogue 
and the other members every day as soon as Roe got out of jail, he convinced all of his members to leave, to which they did to an area known as Burnt River, Ontario in 1984. At the time, there were 40 members, which is counting his 20 children. Also, different signs of the cult began to shine through at this time. For example, all of them, except for Rogue, of course, had to wear matching tunics as a way to show their unity or whatever it was really just another way to further dehumanize the group of people see this stair step effect kept happening whenever they first joined the cult um rogue told them that they were not allowed to talk to their friends or family as that will ma maintain a worldly connection to which they cannot separate themselves to God now. The signs such as the tunics are getting more evident. However, if you're a member of the cult, it seems like a natural progression. While at um, Burton River, Ontario, the cult made their money by selling local goods and foods to the people of Burnt River. Um, this included like maple syrup, preserves, um, smoked fish all sold under the monarchy or moniker I think that's how you moniker. Say it, of the Ant Hill kids it was at this point that Rock really doubled down on the authoriation I think that's how you say it, thing to which he began drinking violently and set up rules such as members cannot have sex with each other that's sad and even not commute to each other without rogue's permission dang so this guy was really doubling down um basically dehumanizing them to the t to the max basically um furthermore um human all form of open thought he had to be funneled through him even got to the point where he started hosting things which he called gladiator tournaments in which members of the cult had to get into a dirt rink and fight each other until he called forfeit which left people with several broken bones and noses before but before we get into this really hard stuff that he did I kind of want to bring up this concept. So this is the concept I was telling you about, Kobe. So that I think it's important to understand why things like this happen. Um, for those that don't know, there is something called the frog in the water concept. Have you heard of that? Frogs in the water, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, now that changed your perspective. Yeah. You've never seen it before, heard of it before, which I wouldn't blame you. Whenever you go to cook a frog, you don't have to kill it. You don't shoot it or stab it or anything like that. You would, a traditional meat animal, or what you do is you take a pot of water and drop a frog into it. The frog will get comfortable in the water and sit there. All you have to do is pre pretty, uh, periodically make the fire a little bit hotter 
to set there in the hot bath. You can do this again and again and eventually get it to the point um, that the frog boils to death without jumping out because you were slow enough and didn't realize there was a change where if you take a frog and try to throw in a pot of boiling water all at once, it'll immediately jump out. And this same concept is exactly what happens to a lot of people in these situations. See, it starts out as I want a separation from this life. I want to do something better for me or God or my friends or whatever. So this guy's going to help me do that good. And I should go with him. Oh, he wants, he wants me to not be attached to worldly pleasures. Well, that makes sense. I'll get rid of of all of my stuff and my connections he's wrong about his predictions of God coming back well like he said God's time is different than our time I guess that makes sense he led an event in which a mentally handicapped man killed a child and then he killed the mentally handicapped man that makes sense because he's a healer and then the child didn't understand that so the child needed to be taught so then the mentally ill man tried to teach the child to which the mentally ill man then needed to be taught and it will all make sense because he knows what he's doing because he talks to God can you can you believe that how crazy I've never, how crazy I've never heard of that before how crazy yeah, that concept sense. is like it, it makes, makes sense. It makes sense a little bit, you know. But I feel like nowadays it'd be hard to do that. But back in the days, like I don't know. I feel like you could still do that if you if you're, if you're good enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's like little by little they they start accepting what he's doing, especially if he's a person that that they strongly believe that he talks to God. Like, yeah, you're. Anybody's going to believe that. Well, not anybody, but most of the people. Especially because in the beginning, he says that he was going for people like in bars and in churches and places like that. But I feel like he was going for people that were um, in a bad spot. You know what I mean? Or yeah. or they told somebody and then that somebody told their friends and then so on and so on. We're almost there, Kobe. Um, I want to emphasize that because a lot of people just kind of point at these situations and think, how could anyone be so dumb? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But in actuality, it's just the frog in the water. Even though it keeps getting hotter, and even though these people who are very logically thinking if they would have seen the situation from a mile out wouldn't identify that it's wrong because they've been setting in it and because the water's just been getting a little bit hotter bit by bit, it's harder to recognize that they're boiling to death. So speaking of, we're going, going to get into some some of the more extreme things that happen after this as you can imagine various members of the cult decided that they wanted to leave at this point it was it wasn't irregular for rogue to be this um to subjects 
at the first with the belt, but then a hammer and then the blunt side of an axe. And yeah, if someone decided that they wanted to leave, the standard procedure was to tie them to the ceiling um, and pluck all of their hairs out of their body before a rock would defecate on them. In one instant, he had a member prove their worth to the cult by breaking their own legs with a sledgehammer. And he also did things to people such as making them sit on lit stoves, shoot each other in the shoulder, or even cut off the toes of other members to prove their own loyalty. Also, there was an imaginable amount of sexual abuse mixed in with this, as well as this um, also didn't just stop as the adults, as the, the children had their own realm of hell. To go through it as whenever a child was acting up, it was not uncommon common for them to be nailed to a tree and had rocks thrown at them by the other children. Another thing that you've, you've got to realize is that this happened over the course of several years and something that often seen an abuse situation of all types is something known as honeymoon phase. See, like I mentioned, that charisma that Brock had never, or Rogue, sorry, had never went away, and I'd imagine that that his followers believe in God didn't go away either. So essentially, this figure who was in their life, who said that he was a mouthpiece for God, who was extremely nice, caring, and charismatic to them, 99 of um, percent out of the time just had his weak moments or at least that's how they saw it as we see it and as I'm reading here he would get belligerently drunk and then horrific horrif horrifically abuse members of his own people but to the people li living it this is just kind of kind of nice man who has his bad moments and that's normally how cult leaders trick people into continue sub um j i can't even say it subjunction asian i can't fucking say it however subject subjacent subject them i don't know something like that however in 1987 one of the women recognized that while she may deserve what's happening uh, to her, or while it may be for the greater good, she doesn't want this to happen to others. So one night during a blizzard, she left her two-month-old child out in the cold to freeze to death in order to escape the horrors of Rogue. <sighs> Can you believe that, dude? Tell me, would you sacrifice, would you do the same thing? To like sacrifice or to not let your son experience, son or daughter experience what's going on in that place. If you're a woman. Well, I'm a man and I can tell you I would not in the first place subject my kid to that. But if there was even an inkling that someone I knew was doing shit like that, even near him, hell no. Hell, no. Yeah, I would. I think freezing your baby is a little hardcore. 
But you never. No, know. no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. No. I'm saying I would take my kid. So if I was in that situation and I didn't realize what was going on, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is bad. Who wouldn't take all those kids and fucking run? I would probably freaking, if I was a lady, I'd try to be, I'd try to be the one to try to like, maybe seduce him or something, and then kill what? him, and then kill him when it's time. You know what I mean? Okay, bro. Okay. Whatever you say. <laughs> what? It's, 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 You're, you're just like... saying you want to... You just want to subdue this man. That's all you're saying right I now. Know, so, I, I know, I mean, know. But once it gets to the point where, like, about to do something, that's when I pull the dagger out of my back and freaking stab him. And then everyone's saved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Continue. <laughs> you didn't like my... You didn't like my statement? Sure. It was, it was all right. Okay, okay. I'll take all right. To which this, the police then investigated and began an actual investigation to see the issue was Rogue had registered the Ant Hill kids as an official church so it's not like the police could come in there with warrants, gun blazing, and just pull everyone out of the houses because of religious laws in Canada. However... What they could do was investigate the welfare of the children, so due to the investigation in 1987, all children were mo removed, leading the cult as just Rogue, um, two men and eight women. After the kids left, Rogue got much worse, where normally he would do a bad thing, apologize for it, be good for a while, and then do a bad thing again. There was a lot less good and a lot less apologies. In the meantime, one of the first things he did after the cult left was castrate a male follower by wrap, wrapping a rubber band around his genitals, to which it eventually became infected and fell off. He also began doing things such as burning their genitalia with um, soldering irons and other completely unimaginable torture methods and claim that all this was because either they're not trying hard enough or God told them to however um, the final accumulation. This came in September of 1988 with Salone Balliard. Um, so about some brutal stuff before I'll be talking about rarely brutal stuff now so I guess there's more brutal stuff so one last time to say viewer discretion advise don't say that fuck them this is a true crime podcast dude I don't care crazy. it's real bro it's real shit he could so earlier that day had had complained of a sore stomach to which Rogue said that he could help her, to which he laid her on the kitchen table, took off her shirt, punched her in the stomach, and then put a plastic tube in her lower intestine, to which he then induced an 
enema using oil and molasses keep in mind through this time or entire thing he says he knows exactly what he's doing as he's a gifted healer he then cut open her abdomen pulled out a piece of her intestine and with his bare hands broke off a piece um, and just tucked the rest of it back in before stitching her up he also had members of the cult take plastic tubes insert it down her throat and began breathing into it as a way to inflate her digestive tract somehow um, so long lived through the night I think that's her name although she died in agony the next day this did not stop rogue though as he then said it was his job to resurrect her and using a very butchered and horrific version of the Garden of Eden he decided he was to do with the seed of man so he cut open her abdomen took out her arteries drilled a hole into her skull and then he had him as well as the rest of the men in the cult commit acts of necrophilia obviously this didn't um, resurrect her however he pulled out one of her ribs and then wore it as a necklace saying it was as Eve came from the rib of Adam and her body was then buried a short distance away from the com commute itself keep in mind at this point everyone is experiencing extreme versions of Stockholm Syndrome holy shit that was intense bro I almost didn't read that whole thing <laughs> Oh man, that includes one member by the name of Gab Gabriella uh, Lavar Liar or something like that, who had experienced her own abuse when, he, after complaining about toothaches, she had eight of her teeth pulled, as well as affirmationed uh, soldierizing and having hypodermic needle broken off, and being left in her back after everything that happened her to her and after seeing what have happened to Sloane um, she decided to get out of there in July 1989 she attempted to make her escape however she was caught by Rogue who then took her inside and pinned her arm to the wall by um, with a hunting knife and then amputated her arms using a chainsaw Finally, the nightmare ended on August 16th when Gabriella managed to make an actual escape. On her second attempt, she went hitchhiking to a hospital just north of Toronto, in which even. Thank you, babe. Nice. Um. Which eventually the troop began began to come out especially when the police who have ever since the children were taken away from the cult began to suspect something nef um, nefarious was going on came to Gab came Gabriella and began to ask her about what really happened when finally in August of 1989 Rogue was arrested for three counts of aggravated assault and one count on unlawful bodily harm he pleaded guilty to these and received 12 years in prison 
However, as soon as, as Rogue was taken away from the Ant Hill kids, at this point, they all immediately began to turn on him. Or at least most did. This led to one of the members showing the authorities the body of Salon Salongi Boliard, to which led to Rogue having a second murder sentence stacked on top of his current sentence, which gave him life in jail with possibility of parole. In the year 2000, however, he was never granted parole as well. Um, found out shortly also how I mentioned that most of the cult turned their back on him well while in jail he was still able to further um, father four more children with women of the cult who came to visit him during con uh, conjunctual or conjunctual I think that's how you say it visits why are you laughing dude <laughs> Conjugal visits, man. Conjugal. That means he can fuck him. <laughs> There's a thing like that? Not anymore, but yeah. I don't think that's a thing anymore. That's crazy, bro. As you've... As you know, I've never heard of that word before, dude. <laughs> Ted Bundy paid a guard so he could... Either fuck his lady while he was on death row, or he filled a condom up and she put it in herself. So he has a daughter out there somewhere that's like 40 years old now. What the fuck? Okay. Um. Continue. This really shows the effect, or at least long term trauma, that this abuser had on an eye on his victims and also if there's any questions in your mind of maybe Rogue believed his own hype as I kind of had going into while in jail he got in trouble for trying to sell his drawings and poems that he had written while in jail on a website called murderauction.com I gotta check that website out <laughs> which prides itself on selling memorabilia of serial killers. So yeah, I don't really think he cared finally at this. Um, all this ended when on February 26, 2011, the 63-year-old rogue... Uh, how do you say his last name again? Terrio. Terrio. Rock Terrio. Is it rock? Yes, I, I told you that in the beginning. That no, it was you rock. didn't. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You're you capping. just kept on with Rogue. You're capping, bro. You're capping. I'm not wearing a hat. I'm not wearing a hat. I'm not. <laughs> what? I'm embarrassed. Let's get this finished. Was killed by Matthew McDonald. While in pre prison, Matthew had been Rock's mate. There you go. And had gotten really tired of Rock talking about the the action that he committed, while while cult leader to which Matthew took a shiv, um, stabbed rope to death in the neck, went to a guard station and dropped the shiv off, and said, "I'm quoting that piece of shit is down." On the range, here's the knife. I've sliced them up. 
this added a life sentence onto, onto the life sentence that Matthew was already earning. And as far as I'm concerned, that should have counted as community service hours. Um, what was that website you were talking about? It's called murderauction.com. So it seems... Okay, let's see. You know, we just start falling. Yeah, I think... I think that's pretty much it. I'm just going to end it up there because that was... Honestly, I was... I kind of was doing something and listening to the story at the same time. But freaking reading this and... Comparing it to the video that I was watching. It's just freaking... Dude, that's horrifying, honestly. That thing is... Yeah. That thing has the hairs on my back freaking standing up a little bit. Yeah, there's a... There's a podcast that did a three-part series on that guy, and he gets so brutal into every fucking detail. Three parts? Anyway. Yes. Almost two hours long each. Let's get into my story. No. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My story's not even that bad. I'm just kidding, dude. So, I just finished The Sopranos. I know it's been out for like 25 years, but I just watched it. Fucking great show. So I'm talking about a mafia hitman, the most infamous mafia hitman, Richard Kluklensky, also known as the Iceman. What? What are you laughing at? Oh, I almost sneezed. Uh, he was also known as Iceman, and as soon as he came out of his mother's cunt, he was basically had the shit beat out of him. And we'll get into why later. I wrote this all kind of jumbled, so just bear with me. Okay. But we'll start in 1991. He did three, three, count them, one, two, three, HBO interviews. In which he was asked how many people he has killed. He said an approximate guess would be more than 100. But then in another interview, he said 200. So who knows? I don't fucking know. But he was caught by an F ATF agent who was undercover with a wire, and he worked for the Gambino family, which is part of the five families. Five. That's one of the biggest he, ones, aren't they? Yeah. So he was born April 11th, 1935, and he perished March 5th, 2006. Like I said earlier, growing up, his father beat him for pretty much anything. He said his dad was a loudmouth, and when others like that were like that to him, he got excited. And one story he told on one of these HBO specials was that when he was in a bar at 18, some guy was insulting him and just being a bitch. When Richard saw him sleeping in his car, he got a bottle of gas, with a malt, like with a rag in it, like a Molotov cocktail, lit it on fire, threw it inside the car while the guy was sleeping. He then walked away, and he said, while he was walking away, he could hear the screaming and yelling, and he could smell it. Just for making him mad. This guy was not to be fucked with. Yeah. And at 25, he didn't have a problem with killing, 
but he decided I could get paid for this. So he was born in Jersey City to Stanley and Ann. His father worked as a brakeman on the Delaware Railroad. His mother, Anna, was a devout Catholic first-generation Irish bitch who worked in a meatpacking plant. She probably packed a lot of meat. Richard was the second of four children. His younger brother is actually a murderer as well. He was born May 5th, 1944, and he died September 22nd of 2003. In 1970, he was convicted of raping and murdering a 12-year-old, and he murdered her and her dog by throwing them off a five-story building. When Richard was asked about his brother's crime, all he said was, we come from the same father. They were even in the same prison together. According to Richard, his father was a violent alcoholic who beat his children regularly and sometimes beat his wife. Stanley abandoned the family while Richard was just a child, but returned periodically, usually drunk as fuck, and his returns were often followed by, guess what? More beatings for Richard, because fuck that kid in particular, I guess. In 1940, Stanley's beatings got so bad that it caused the death of Richard's older brother, who was seven at the time. Stanley and Anna hid the cause of the child's death from the cops, saying he had fallen down a flight of stairs. What? Yep. Anna was also... Yeah. Anna was also an abusive bitch. She would beat Richard with broom handles, sometimes breaking the handle on his body during the beatings, and other household objects. He said he, when he was in his teen years, his mother attempted to kill his father with a kitchen knife. And Anna, yeah, Anna, like I said, was a, a Catholic and believed in stern discipline should be accompanied by strict religious upbringing. So Richard was raised as a Roman Catholic, and he was an altar boy. So we can assume he was molested. Kuklinski later rejected Catholicism and regarded his mother as a cancer who destroyed everything she touched. Wait, so, so, so why, um, so being a Roman Catholic and being an altar boy, why did they assume that he was molested? Was that just the thing? No, I'm, I'm saying that as a joke because a lot of Catholic priests molest altar boys. Like a lot. Yeah. I'm just assuming because I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know me, Brian. Hold on, you're glitching out. How about now? Sounds okay. Is there a TV playing in the background? No. Yes? Okay, anyway, Richard, 
his and his first wife Linda, who was nine years older than him, would have two sons, Richard Jr. and David. And if you don't know, I've noticed a lot of stories where a child is named Junior. They either become a criminal or the father who is a junior. I've, I've noticed that so many times. I don't know if this kid killed anybody. But anyway, while he was working for a trucking, a trucking company, he met Barb, a secretary of the same firm, and he plowed that bitch. Him and Linda then got divorced, and he would marry Barbara in September 1961. They had two daughters and a son. One daughter, Merrick, Kristen, and the son's name was Dwayne. Barbara described his behavior as alternating between Good Ritchie and Bad Ritchie. Good Ritchie would be a hard, yeah, he'd be a hardworking provider, an affectionate father and loving husband. But Bad Ritchie would appear weird times, sometimes one day after another, sometimes not being around for months and was prone to unpredictable fits of rage, smashing furniture and being violent. During these periods, he was physically abusive to his wife. He broke her nose on three times. Three. She cooked that food wrong three times. I'm just kidding. And once tried to run her over with his car. His abuse also caused her to have several miscarriages. He was always he was also emotionally abusive towards his kids, but according to Barb, he never laid a hand on them because she threatened to kill him if he did. And I saw a picture of those two together. There is no way she could stop this behemoth of a man. He was fucking huge. So it's like, come on. But one thing he did to one of his daughters um, to punish her for coming home late, he killed her dog right in front of her. Barbara said that she had once told Richard she wanted to see other people. He responded by jabbing her from behind with a hunting knife, which was so sharp she did not even feel the blade go in. He then told her she belonged to him Um, he told her that she belonged to him and that if she tried to leave, he would kill her entire family. When Barbara began screaming at him in anger, he choked the shit out of her until she passed out. Merrick also remembered a number of road rage incidents involving her father. So Richard's family in Dumont, New Jersey, where they lived, their neighbors were unaware of his activities, same as his family. They just believed he was successful doing whatever he did. So she did, Barbara did it, um, believe some of his income was from illegal activities due to their lifestyle, large amounts of cash he often possessed. Given his anger, she never wanted to ask. And like I said in the other recording I made, if my wife was beating the fuck out of people for money, I wouldn't say shit. I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> instead of 
Instead, she decided the don't ask, don't tell, tell thing when it came to his life or associates. If he randomly left the house in the middle of the night, she wouldn't ask. Um, they would get divorced while he was in prison in 1993, and Barb said the divorce was for money reasons. She continued to visit him in prison, but only once a year. So now we'll get into his uh, criminal activities and his known victims. So, in most of his adult life, he ran a burglary ring, which distributed pirated porn. Not pirate porn, but like stolen porn. He, yeah, he committed at least five murders between 1980 and 1984. And they described the killings as for profit, as there were people who owed him money or owed the crime family money. Yeah, well, that's what he said. He said he worked for them, but it's not like they're gonna. The mob's gonna come out and be like, "Oh yeah, he worked for us." Yeah. And so, do you know why he was nicknamed Iceman by the cops? Do you remember that at all? No. So one of his victims. No, he had he had kept a body of one of his victims in a chest freezer for a long time and then took it out. But he didn't leave it out long enough for the ice to melt. So when they found the body, they found it pretty quickly after he dumped it. They're like, oh, this guy died a long time ago, but he has ice on him and ice crystals inside of him. So that's why they called him the Ice Man. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, but some of his MOs were to lure men to meetings with the promise of lucrative business deals and then kill them and steal their money. He also killed two associates because he was worried he would they would turn him in. So, he would be convicted on four murders and sentenced to life imprisonment. And uh, I'm not going to get into the victims because they're I'll just kind of describe of what he did. He had a lot of different things and it's getting late and I'm tired. <laughs> so basically the ATF special agent Dominic went undercover for 18 months to apprehend him, starting in 1985 with a with a close friend of Richard's to basically to tell him he needed a hit. So that way they could be like, oh, he's going to do a hit for me. So they arrested him for it. And doing this in the recordings, Richard described dumping that corpse that was frozen for two and a half years. But he told the undercover agent that he preferred poison, saying, why be messy? You can do it nice and calm. He asked the ATF agent if he could supply him with pure cyanide. So, yeah. It's just a poison. 
Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it does to the body, but it's very hard to detect, at least back then it was. But he, all the stories he told about how he killed people, he strangled, shot them, uh, used a crossbow, guns. Like, there was one story he told where he put a rope over a guy's neck because he was really tall, and he just put it over his shoulder and picked him up and just held him there until he strangled to death. And the one with the crossbow, he asked this guy on the side of the street for directions. And when the guy leaned down to see what he was saying, he shot him in the head with a crossbow. But yeah, but we... Yeah, but he died at the age of 70, March 5th in 2006. And he died of a heart attack. And so we won't ever know how many victims he actually has. And I didn't do a whole lot of research because I don't have Wi-Fi. And I watched those three documentaries and I kind of just wrote down what I was hearing while I was listening. So it's not that good. I don't apologize. I don't care. <laughs> Brian's... No, Brian's story was better. It's fun. But that's going to be it for episode 40. Yeah. And then we're done forever. <laughs> episode of killer conspiracies i'm kobe that's brian please rate five stars follow on twitter instagram at killer there's a facebook group and page killer conspiracies with kobe and brian and if you have any requests or anything email us at killerconpod at gmail.com please share with all your friends thank you We will see you next week.